Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mena's Masterclass, which is my feature interview series as part of Cricket Unfiltered. I have a very special guest for this episode. He is a player that many regard as the best left-arm fast bowler of all time, Wazim Akram. I grew up with Wazim dominating international cricket with his swing bowling and big hitting. He took 502 one-day international wickets, which is only second behind Murali, and 414 test wickets. He was famously player of the match in the 1992 World Cup final at the MCG, where Pakistan won their only 50-over title. He joins me to discuss his new biography, Sultan, written with Gideon Hay. This interview with Wazim Akram is brought to you by NordVPN, a terrific time for them to come on and sponsor Cricket Unfiltered, as it is such an important issue at the moment in Australia, cybersecurity. There's been um, well-publicised um, hacks, and uh, NordVPN is a way of protecting you from cybercrime. It's a way of stopping people steal your private data and invade your privacy. And if you're not tech savvy at all, NordVPN is the easiest way. With just one click, you can be protected. You don't have to be a genius to use it. And with your NordVPN account, you can have up to six devices protected. You don't have to worry about hackers and malicious sites, pop-ups, and it's going to cost you basically the cost of one coffee a month. And also, um, with your NordVPN, you get the opportunity to watch sports all around the world, even if they're not broadcast where you are. So maybe if you're listening to this episode, you might be a Pakistan fan. And if there's a Pakistan series occurring overseas that Australia is not involved in, and maybe uh, there's not any local broadcasting, you live in Australia, you want to watch it, you can switch on the NordVPN and tap into the local coverage. So it really is um, a, a fantastic thing to do. I've done it many, many times before. So log in to nordvpn.com slash cricket unfiltered and you can get um, our exclusive deal which consists of uh, above all a risk-free 
30-day money-back guarantee. That's right, yeah. Our exclusive NordVPN deal, nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered. I put that link in the episode notes, so click onto that. And um, please do, if you're going to try NordVPN, click onto the link so they know um, you're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. It's the, one of the fastest VPNs going around. It will not slow your computer down, so I highly recommend it. All right, now to my interview with the great Wazim Akram. All right, everyone, a very special episode of Menas Masterclass this morning. I'm joined by one of the true greats of cricket, a childhood hero of mine, the great Wazim Akram. Wazim, welcome to my podcast. How are you? Thank you very much. Good to be here. I'm good. Just freezing uh, my butt off in Melbourne. That's all. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you, you've released a, a fabulous book, Sultan, that was, uh, you know, Gideon Hay helped you with. Uh, you know, and reading back through it, you know, um, you know, I grew up in the 90s. It was such a magical time for cricket. And, uh, you know, reliving all those memories of your career was fantastic for me. What was it like for you going back through your career? Obviously, when I started playing cricket, it was like any young kid. I was 17 year old. My first first-class game was against New Zealand. Um, and my fourth first-class game was a test match. So I just got picked up out of the blue. And I've got good mentors early on, like Javed Miyadad, Imran Khan, Mubadassar Nazar, who put me on the right path as far as uh, hard work concerned. They had simple principles, all these greats, that, you know, unless your talent is will stay with you, doesn't matter anything in life, either it's cricket or job or whatever, talent will stay with you for four years, three years, and then the hard work, will will uh, uh, make sure the talent stage we do for like 15 years. And I played on 19 years of cricket. So mentorship was very important. But the 90s cricket was fun. And I think things went, uh, uh, gone down a downward spiral uh, when Imran retired, Javed Miyadat kind of left and all of us were one age group. Nobody was there to mentor us. Even the cricket balls board wasn't strong enough at that time. Now they are organized. So it was very difficult to write that book uh, and visit uh, those incidents, your mind tend to forget. Uh, I think credit to Gideon, who really worked hard on it, who knew everything, who done his homework. He's that's why he's one of the best journalists, uh, top fifty journalists in the world. So we got very friendly as well. He's a good guy too. So yeah, it was very tough to revisit those incidents at times, especially the betrayal of my buddies around me. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, that's a common theme is the infighting in the Pakistan team. And you talk about the factions and the little groups in the team. Um, you know, I, I think sort of all teams have that, but it, it seems like, you know, it, as you say, <coughs> once Imran left, it was it it was a little bit of a loose ship. It really was. And I think uh, uh, because when these boys rebelled against me, nine of my teammates, just before the New Zealand tour, I was 25, 26. And I remember all of them were at my place at the housewarming till three, four in the morning. And next morning I went for practice uh, and suddenly I saw these nine players wearing jackets and ties and walking around the stadium. And I said, hang on a minute, what's going on? And then I found out these boys have uh, uh, rebelled and they said, we're not going to play under Vaseem Akram. So Pakistan Cricket Board, whoever was in charge then, should have put his foot down and find those guys. Things would have been fine. But they didn't. They asked me to step down and made one Salim Malik captain. So I went on the tour 
besides knowing that nobody did all these friends betrayed me my trust as well but i went on tour got 25 wickets in three test matches without high-fying anyone so imagine how tough it was for me to play and i was recently married then so although my wife was on the tour but not socializing with your teammates wasn't the best thing in especially in a team sport yeah why do you think why do you think they were wanted you out as captain at the time Probably they said, I think I've heard later on eventually that I was very strict with them. Uh, there wasn't a good enough excuses. What, what does strict means? That be on time, practice on time, that's all. And obviously I was being a young captain. Uh, Pakistan made me a captain at the age of 25. Very planned, obviously. I never captained even a club side before. Usually you plan, mm. okay, why will he be the future captain? Uh, let him be the vice captain for a year. Then he can learn the ropes and then we'll make him a captain. But they made me the captain straight away. I struggled in the beginning because it was affecting my game. A couple of uh, my teammates were either senior teammates uh, were playing under me who were late on the bus, who were late on the practice. And that started affecting my my own performance. Although I, I when I was about to actually, when I learned how to, you know, man-manage people, individuals are different, and that rebel happened. And that was it. The, the downward spiral of Pakistan cricket in the 90s started there. Imagine in a team sport when you don't trust anyone. And yeah, that's the worst that's thing. terrible. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, corruption and, um, you know, some of the, the stuff that went on in the 90s, malpractice. Uh, and, you, you know, you say, well, a couple of things. Firstly, you say that you were sort of never friendly with Salim Malik. Uh, as like personal friends. Um, but obviously, you know, that's a real kick in the teeth if you're, you know, sacked as captain and he's, you know, installed in the in the position. Yeah, I was. It was very tough for me at the age of 26 to accept this happened. But I said, look, I, I, I'm a cricketer. I have to play cricket. I can't just finish my cricket because these nine, nine boys don't want me to play cricket. Hence the reason I went on the tour, on New Zealand tour straight after. So, yeah, there were tough times. There was no trust. Everybody was even looking. I hardly spoke to anyone. Everybody was looking at each other with, you know, uh, uh, with, without any trust involved. So, yeah, it wasn't the best time for me to play cricket. But, of course, uh, I was a professional cricketer. I had to give my 100%. I did. And all my reputation gone down the drain because it, it came out of the team. Nobody mm. outside the team knew. Uh, or, or 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 probably know what was happening inside. So he was a player who used to leak the news to media and everything who planned against him, planned against him. For instance, 96 World Cup, I was captain again. We were in the quarterfinals Remember. against India, big game uh, in Bangalore. And I got injured three days before against New Zealand in Gaddafi Stadium, Lahore, pulled my intercostal muscle. And that takes about six weeks. I tried to put injections in before the game to six injections in my ribs, painkillers, that didn't work at all. So I didn't play the game. India scored 270-odd. Pakistan were chasing 110 for none in 15 overs. And we lost the game. And they blamed it on me. It, ha it, got, it got out of the team. It was a plan. Mm. That Okil had uh, diverted the attention towards Vaseem Akram. The guy who didn't play the game, 11 who played the game, nobody blamed them. Everyone blamed me. And that was really heart-wrenching for me. Yeah, of course. And there was like insinuations and match fixing and stuff around that. I mean, you know, I heard you say recently that you see on social media, people go, oh, Akram was a match fixer. I mean, you know, what do you want to say to those people? 
I want to say to those people, no, don't listen to rumors. If anybody had proof, he would have been came out of it. He would have, you know, come out of it. I mean, mm. with the proofs. But that didn't happen. And I read the Justice Kayyum report thoroughly. I never read it before because I wanted to forget that period. And with Gideon insisted, I should read. And if you read that report, you'll say, in all that report, he said, she said, I've heard. I got message from someone, through someone, through someone. So that doesn't make any sense. And how can one guy can fix any game? That please explain that to me. If if you are, uh, uh, you know, any uh, any team sport, it has to be more than one people and top players. And I was the number one player in the world. Why would I do such silly thing? I was earning good enough money at the time, whatever it was. I was fine with it. But that was the sad reason that I. Uh, I wrote that book because I didn't want it to. I was a bit anxious before the launch that I might uh, upset some people, but I realized this book is for my boys and my little girl. It's my story. It's my real story for my kids. And, and it is a wonderful book. I mean, uh, thank you. Beautiful, but so many beautiful stories in there. Look, we've started really heavy, Wazim, but let you know. I want to tell you, you know, watching you bowl growing up was just one of the joys of cricket, um, and. You know, you were one of those rare players that never dropped off. You know, when you retired in 2003, maybe a few kilometres had come off the speed gun, but you were bowling just as well as when you started. I mean, it's an incredible career, probably the greatest left-arm bowler ever. So thank you for all the joy you brought. Um, 414 test wickets. Now, reading your book, there was a lot of drop catches. I think you might have had 500-plus test wickets if all the catches had been held. Easily. And if for DRS, I would have gone probably 800 wickets in each format. <laughs> but, uh, our fielding was never the best, especially in Slipcord and still is the same. I don't know why. But uh, uh, I mean, I enjoyed cricket. I loved playing for Lancashire because when I played for Lancashire, I realized what, that's what team sport is all about. Mm. They bet up they support you it doesn't matter you're performing or you're not performing and uh, that's why Lancashire uh, for me was right on top of the ladder as far as my cricket concern I still have a house there I've still visit every summer for a month and a half meet my old colleagues like Neil Fairbrother Michael Atherton Andrew Flintoff the great uh, uh, David Lloyd Bumble and uh, I also visit the ground uh, to see the new boys as well so yeah that was the highlight of my cricketing career as far as team sport concerned. I'm not saying everything was negative playing for Pakistan. There were some great moments. Uh, winning the 92 World Cup, winning the India Series in 99 as a captain. And yeah, I captained about 27. I think I got removed as a captain four times and came back as a captain four times. So it was a kind of a joke. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've got to say, you're right about the English. They certainly know how to to play cricket and enjoy it. They've got a fantastic culture around games. You know, you know, it's really encouraged to catch up with your team after play, not just head off. So I can see why you enjoyed it. You know, I have two great memories of you. One is 1990. You know, I'm watching the Adelaide Test, and Australia's all over Pakistan. It looks like we're going to win, maybe by an innings. And you walk out to back with your captain Imran at the time, and you know, quite young at the time, hadn't hadn't scored many big scores at Test cricket. I'm thinking Australia's going to knock them over. And then you and Imran put on almost 200, and you made your first Test century. Uh, can you explain to me what it was like to bring up the three figures? 
that was something uh, uh, what you call it the stuff of the legends kind of feeling at the times because I think the Lancashire first year in 88 my first year playing cricket every day three 17 three day games three one day comps that helped me a lot I got my first first class 100 playing for Lancashire against Somerset in 88 and then I came to Australia I got 11 wickets at the MCG one of my favorite grounds, and then Adelaide over the 100, you were saying. I just went out to bat, and Imran was batting there, and I said, I'm going to play my game. I'm not going to block, block, and block, and get out. And for some odd reason, uh, I got runs against one of the top bowlers of the time, Merv, the great Merv Hughes, uh, <laughs> Blackman, uh, you know, the off-spinner, I think Peter Taylor, uh, Campbell was there as well from Tasmania. So, yeah, that was dream come true. And, you know, when you perform against Australia, in Australia, you get world recognition straight away because Aussie teams, Aussie team, especially in the 90s, were the best in the world. They were the mighty Australians uh, under the leadership of Alan Border. Mm. And I think uh, that 100 gave me a confidence, same inning, same test. I got 50, then I got five wickets. So, yeah, and uh, that tour really evolved me as a cricketer. Most certainly. I mean, what was it like playing against uh, in the 90s, you know, Cricket was hard, like the West Indies, the Australians. You know, it was fierce. It was a lot of sledging. I mean, what was it like back then? It was, like you said, really, is uh, it was tough. It wasn't easy. There were no freebies. I mean, West Indian has their part-time bowler, Winston Benjamin, who was <laughs> under never pissed it up. <laughs> he was always yes. that freaking length where you just towards your rim every time. And he was an angry young man. And same with Australia. It was impossible to beat Australia in Australia in mm -hmm. the 90s. Even now, probably, but those days were Aussies are way ahead as far as fitness concerned. Uh, they were mentally very tough. They were physically very strong. And they had this belief as a team because of the great leader, uh, Sir Alan Border. Yeah, what a, what a man, Alan Border. What a true legend. Um, you know, and I have another great memory of you. So, um, you know, you're the, the second leading one-day wicket-taker behind Morley. 534 wickets yourself, 502. And then your great teammate, Wakai Yunus, 416 wickets. Um, but, you know, that World Cup final of 1992 at the MCG was such a a magic night in, in cricket history in Australia. Of course, I was going for Pakistan because, you know, we don't want to see the Poms win on Australian soil. So, um, you know, I, I still remember, you know, those two deliveries to Lamb and Lewis that just set the world alight. Um, I mean, how do you look back on those that moment? You see, this generation, uh, who uh, the social media generation, uh, they haven't, uh, obviously, thanks to YouTube, they've been watching those deliveries. But, you know, when people ask me your best game, I played 100-plus test matches. I played almost 400 one-days. And I don't know how many hundred first-class games. If you have to pick one, it's got to be that World Cup final, especially the stage we were in. And we had massive support because Australia has been organized. They mm. bought the finals beforehand. Real, and uh, probably realizing our team will probably qualify for the finals. But they didn't. And we peaked at the right time. And I remember it was 35th over after the water break. Imran said, look, one of the be uh, world best one-day players, uh, Alan Lamb, one end. And other end, young, upcoming, great one-day player, Neil Frey brother, mm -hmm. building up. He said, we need wickets. Obviously, 
uh, he was stating the obvious. We needed a wicket. And he said, okay, you come from the pavilion and that ball is reverse swinging a bit. So I said, sure, I'll come around the wicket and try to bowl this away swing uh, to, Mal, uh, to Alan Lamb. And uh, he said, yeah, give it a go. If you, if you see that clip, I just sprinted in. There was no break. There was no, you know, gradually you run up. I just sprinted in. And for some odd reason, uh, God has been kind. That ball pitched middle and clipped his off stump. And the second delivery was Chris Lewis. And I wanted to bowl a Yorker from around the wicket. But my captain skipper said, no, he'll be expect, expect, expecting a Yorker. Bowl a length ball in swing. And I said, okay, sure. My skipper is saying, and then I bowled that length ball. I visualized for a second, ran it, pitched outside off stump, inside edge, off to his stump. So, yeah, one of the best games ever. And that has transformed cricket in Pakistan, that particular game. Winning the World Cup gave Pakistanis uh, uh, the joy. And, of course, that confidence they can compete against the best of the best. You say it also raised expectations of the home fans in your book. Um, it certainly seemed to, you know, put a, put a little bit more pressure on the team for the next few years. And absolutely, and because of this social media now, it's a twenty first century. I'm all for it. Okay, you guys, Australians, Brits, or New Zealanders, or South Africans, if you lose a close game, you'll say bad luck, Australia. Better luck next time. In Pakistan, India, they don't forget. They mimic their own players. They put their confidence down. They give them horrible nicknames. And with social media, has gone bad to worse. So I tell the young kids during these big games, try to get away from social media. Because end of the day, you guys know it's a game. Somebody has to win. Somebody has to lose. If someone, if someone doesn't perform, I mean, Pakistan team, they have, if, if they haven't played well in the finals against England recently, it's okay. Other team are here to play as well. Mm. So the concept, they don't get it. They just want to win, win, and win. For, I don't. Everybody wants to win. But come on, they're your own boys. If you're not going to support them, who will? That's right. I mean, for, for Australians, we really like to see our team put in the effort. If the sure. Aussie team goes out, puts in their effort, and they get beaten, that's fine. I mean, I think the fan, our Aussie fans get frustrated when it looks like they're not prepared and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, my other memory of that 92 World Cup, and it doesn't get talked about a lot, is the semi-final. Pakistan yeah. was gone. And this yeah. young baby-faced Inzamam hit 60 of 37 balls and just took the game from New Zealand. I mean, it was incredible. It really was. And remember, uh, Australia has to win against West Indies. We had to go to New Zealand, who won seven out of seven games at home. And we had to win the eighth game to qualify for the semifinals. And uh, uh, we did. Australia won against West Indies. We won the two-round uh, game against New Zealand. And then come the semifinal in Auckland at the home ground. Pack house. Uh, they were firm favourites. And then Inzi came out with that knock. You see that knock nowadays very often in T20 format. But those days, Getting those runs on 34 deliveries or 37 deliveries, 60-odd, was unbelievable. Inzi was a phenomenal, phenomenal player. No doubt about it. Yeah, and you're right. At that time, you know, that sort of innings, you just didn't see in it. Exactly. In my mind. Uh, so you talked about, um, you know, Imran Khan being a mentor. And, you know, you say in the book, you didn't have to help you so much with your action, but more the mental side and the discipline. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Imran Khan's gone on to be the former prime minister, 
you know, what is he like as a man? What was his influence on you? I mean, Imran was a huge star in the 90s, um, late 80s. I mean, I was with him. He, he took me under his wings. Uh, if he went for a party, he was the center of attraction. If you go to a shopping center, the whole shopping center was following Imran. He was kind of a Greek god. I, I was next to him and educated from Oxford, played for Worcestershire and Sussex. He was very simple. He, he had a very simple mantra. Doesn't matter what you do in life, you've got to work hard. Nothing comes easy. For instance, he said, if you get five wickets in a test match, the same evening, go for five laps. The bowling muscle gets stronger. You'll be quicker. These little details. And he used to do that himself. And he's a, he was our prime minister. Hopefully, he'll be back soon as a prime minister. But yeah, uh, he's honest. He's straightforward. And uh, they have no ifs and buts about him, Ron. If he believes in something, he will follow it to the T. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, you know, the 92 World Cup when he, you know, in the speech, he donated a lot of the money to a cancer charity. Yeah. I mean, he's all, that. Which one? All of his money. All of his money. And, and you know, that's, I, I know there was some sort of, you write in the book about some of the dissatisfaction when, within the team, but, you know, Imran seems to be that person with big visions, you know, yeah. someone that sees the whole picture and striving for greatness, like to always be greater. Yeah, I tell you a story about this 92 World Cup. You know, we were, we started off horribly wrong. Uh, we lost our two practice games. So we went into uh, the first game at the MCG against uh, West Indies. We lost by 10 wickets. And he, you know, as a leader, he was just telling us every time we lost, the game, we will win this World Cup. I have a feeling we will win this World Cup because he said, I want to build this hospital, a cancer hospital for poor people. They can have free treatment. So now he's got one in Lahore, one in Peshawar, one in Karachi is almost done. For poor, it's absolutely free, free of cost. And it's the most expensive in the world. So he said, I mean, his feeling was uh, the God is helping him. And if he wins the World Cup, it will be easier to build a hospital. And that's what exactly happened. That's, that, that belief gave us the confidence that we can win. So that sort of leader he is, even in politics, is exactly the same. Wow, what a man. Speaking of Imran Khan, it, it sort of goes into a next topic, which I, I've actually found this really interesting. It's about reverse swing and the way it's been viewed by, I would say, the Western world. Now, um, you know, I, I'm from Sydney, New South Wales, and oh. played a bit of grey cricket. And Imran Khan, you know, was in New South Wales in 84, 85, and the art of looking after a ball to get reverse swing started to filter around, you know, Sydney. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very fine line between tampering with the ball and getting it to swing. But it seems like for a while it was seen, it was viewed by cheating. And then all of a sudden, you know, say England decides, oh, we'll start doing this and we'll start doing this ourselves. And look, in the 2005 Ashes, we're going to get these mints and we're going to shine the ball up and it's going to swing around corners. You know, what was that like for you, you know, someone who was, you know, accused of cheating and then all of a sudden, oh, all of the other teams are doing it now? 
Yeah, I remember that after that World Cup final, we toured England, 92. Javed was captain. We thrashed England. Every game, they were 200 for one, 230 all out. 190 for two, one, 220 all out. Me and Vakar got loads of wickets. And they started calling, the British media started calling us cheaters, ball tampering. And after two years, they learned that art from me and Vakar while playing county. And that became reverse swing. Double standards. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but that art is dying now. You very rarely see reverse swing. Maybe in test cricket, you see in our part of the world. But generally, in one-day cricket, is gone. T20, there's not enough time to bowl reverse. But it's kind of a dying art. And, you know, on low and slow pitches, what would you do? You just learn that, that, that art. And it's not that difficult. You make a reverse swing ball, bowl in nets, and you'll get the hang of it. But though, nowadays, cricketers' concentration is somewhere else. In T20 format, money, I'm all for money. I tell all these young kids now who come into Pakistan side, so look, okay, you will make money in T20 for sure. I'm all for it. But also remember, once you retire, the cricketing world should remember you. If there is any World eleven, your name should be in there. But that mindset is not there anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you actually say in the book, and I think it's a really good point, that if, if you can play four-day cricket, you can play any cricket. Exactly. The only, I think in the history, if I'm not right, if I'm not uh, uh, wrong, that only one player came as a T20 specialist and became test cricket great. That was David Warner. Mm. If you remember, he came as a T20 specialist and then he evolved his game. And now he's a test great as well. That should be the mentality. That's only one in the history of cricket. But if you're used to T20, it'll be impossible to adapt your game to four-day cricket. But if you are from four-day cricket, your technique is right, you can actually uh, evolve as a T20 or a one-day player as well. So that sort of mindset we need to give to young generation. Yeah, because you can always build your game up, and build, you know, but you need that solid defence. Exactly. As a batter. And, uh, again, dying art now. You rarely see, I mean, okay, T20 uh, have done one thing, you very rarely see test match going for five days. Uh, the 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 run rate is about four a day. Our days it was two and a half a day, because of T20 format. Is uh, Test cricket got more, you know, entertaining in my opinion. But the art is dying. The the reverse swing art is going, because of the so much money in shorter format. If I had the option to pick shorter format, I will pick it out to only about four overs, two with the new ball, one in between maybe, and maybe nineteenth or twentieth over. Batter number seven, go whack the ball. And game will be over in two hours, two, two, two and a half hours. Yeah, I think you would have been a pretty handy T20 cricketer, was him. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I think it would have been fun. <laughs> um, uh, a couple more before I let you go. So with the with the the reverse swing, you know, the the sandpaper gate in Australia is such a you know big issue that hangs over Australian cricket. But you know, I think it's a result of the ICC never being really clear on what was permissible and what wasn't. And I, I think we've got more clarity since then. Um, but I th also think you know that combined with COVID, where you can't spit on the ball, is really, as you say, just killed reverse swing. Yeah. Um you know that that uh, that 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 uh, uh, controversy you just talked about about the sandpaper thing. Uh, yeah, it was quite of a shock to world cricket because Australians always, uh, uh, you know, they had the reputation of being hard, being honest, being direct. But for some odd reason, those boys got uh, uh, sort of carried away, and that was unfortunate. But they've done their time. 
I was reading this article today of David Warner. How long I have to get punished? How can I can't be the skipper of Australian team? You look, people make mistakes, and if they've done their time like these boys did, let's forget about it. I mean, if mm-hmm. David was the perfect candidate to be the captain of Test side or any side, why not? He's done his time. I mean, he's been through a lot, and he's one of the best players in world cricket. We, as as a human being, we have to move on in life. Come on, it's okay. People make everybody make mistakes. Tell me a one person who never made mistake in his life. We all did. We all yeah. do, and you learn from it and never repeat it. Yeah, I am um, also think it's not ever taken into account the mental strain Warner was under on that tour. There was a lot of stuff, you know, from the South African crowds about his wife, and I just think maybe that wasn't uh, factored into it that you know, players go through tough times on tour. I mean, you know, more than anybody, you, 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 with, you know, you're in a foreign country, a lot of pressure on you. You can make mistakes. Yeah. And I did quite a few and obviously I learned from them and moved on. But like I said, those guys have made their mistakes. Let's forget them. I mean, they've done their time. They got humiliated in press, uh, in Australian press, and uh, they came back very well. And David Warner is one of my favorite players in the world. I mean, he's a treat to watch. He is made for this game, this beautiful game of cricket in all the formats. Yeah, I agree. Um, what what was it like touring Australia? You talked about on the field how tough it was. You know, what were the Australian crowds like? Because I, I think Australia's become more welcoming in the last 10 years to all tourists. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Australia uh, was the hard tour, but off the field, it was great fun. You know, the place is beautiful. The food is incredible. Uh, the people are, pe- people were, I mean, I never felt anything in Australia. I toured so many times. In the beginning, it was very difficult to me, for me or my teammates to pick what Aussies were saying anyway. Your accent was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was playing with Brigadier Zamamul Haq uh, in Sydney Test in 96 and he was he got 100 and Glenn McGrath and Shane Vaughan were having a go at him, you know, in Aussie accent. And I said, Inzi, you know what they're saying? Inzi said, I have no idea what they're saying. I can't understand a word. <laughs> so my suggestion to Aussie cricketers or Aussie sportsmen are if you have a if you're going to have a go at someone make sure you have a clear accent <laughs> I'm very I understand now <laughs> um oh that's wonderful um so just just before I let you go you know I, I think you know you you played in an era where there were some truly great batters and you um I'm curious what it was like bowling to some of them so you know those contests between Pakistan and India must have been fierce what was it like when you got when you were bowling against Sachin Tendulkar it was incredible. One of the best players the world I've ever seen, the great Sachin. The only regret I have, we hardly played test cricket. I mean, we played, he, he made a debut against us in 1989. And then we played test cricket in 99. So after 10 years, we played test cricket. So it's difficult to judge, but uh, uh, we played this 99 series where I was captain. We won the series in India. Um so whenever such as walked out, 50,000 people just erupted. And it's it's quite uh, overwhelming when you see that sort of noise when one batsman walks out. But such an off the field is very humble guy, very gentle guy, but a uh, giant off the game, no doubt about it. And uh, what about Brian Lara? Because he was just such a wonderful player to watch, his stroke play. You know, when you came up against him, what was your plan? What was your idea? Uh, yeah, good one. My plan was obviously just to try a couple of away swingers early on because I knew if once he gets set, settled, it'll be difficult to get him out. And he goes 
and he bats all day. He's one of those players. Remember the highest world, a uh, 400 in Test cricket, 502 in first-class cricket, highest individual run the history of the game. He was he was different. That guy was unbelievable to watch. So difficult to bowl, and he and Sachin got runs when reverse swing uh, was like coming into cricket, and it was it was very rarely read by the opposition batsmen. But these two greats, and even I, if talking about uh, Steve Waugh. Uh, Mark Taylor from Australia, very good techniques, very gutsy players, and they got runs against me and Bakar. And that was a that's that's how I judged the players in our time who were runs against us, especially against the West Indies. Lara, definitely top of the ladder. Yeah, it was um you know it was so so good to see Australia go back to Pakistan <laughs> this year and play Test cricket. I have wonderful memories of those tours in the nineties. Um, Taylor scoring three hundred, and but uh, it was always when you and Wakar were together at each end the ball just moving late. It was just awesome to watch. I mean, it was so dramatic. I mean, you know, you brought just such joy into the living rooms of cricket fans around the world. Um, so thank you. I mean, incredible stuff. Thank you very much and pleasure seeing you. Hopefully see you soon in person. Yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast. We just touched on some of the stuff in the book. I encourage everyone to go and read it because there's so much great stuff in there. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing some of the stories with us today. Thank you very much, Andrew. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Wazim. What a thrill to have Wazim Akram on Mena's Masterclass. If you haven't heard the other Mena's Masterclass interviews, search for Mena's Masterclass on your podcast app and you'll be able to listen to interviews with Greg Chappell, Shane Watson, Dan Christian, Alex Blackwell, Lisa Stalaker and Steve Waugh, to name a few. Thanks for listening. Rate and review the show on your favourite podcast app and I'll be back with more Mena's Masterclass in 2023. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.